1: Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades. But it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. So before you update your closet this summer, take a look at American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for summers to come. American Giant is made in the USA. That ensures that they can deliver items of exceptional quality. But it also creates jobs across the country. You're not just buying clothes that last. You're helping create a lasting change in the communities where they're made and a connection to the seamsters, cutters, and factory workers who make them. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Promo code LT23.
0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 476 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, January 10th, 2023, and tomorrow night we welcome a familiar face back to Cameron Indoor Stadium when the Pit Panthers come to town. We get to discuss that upcoming game on this show. Who is we? Well, me is Donald Wine, the host for this episode. Sam is in a airport somewhere in the western part of the country. Sam, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I am uh, checking in from Bozeman Airport. I am currently looking
2: out uh, over the mountains. If you have not been to the Bozeman Airport, I highly
0: recommend the views. I hear the views are immaculate. And the other person that forms the we on the show is Jason Evans, living in the state that is home to two time college football national champions. We'll talk about the dogs later. But Jason, how are you feeling? Today? Oh, wow. You got the dog in you?
3: I do got a little dog in me. Yeah, it was a fun night last night, if you're at all of a Georgia fan. I'm not a huge Georgia fan, but having grown up here and lived here my whole life, uh, I have absorbed a little bit of the Bulldog aura, and that was a major league beatdown. I mean, (laughs) that was just, it was over at halftime. I said to a friend of mine, I'm like, if I give you Georgia at halftime, I said, I go, Georgia minus 40, you taking Georgia? He's like, oh yeah. They ended up winning by
0: almost (laughs) sixty. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Uh, I have that dog in me. It's all dog around these parts after the Lions win. But we're not here to talk about football. We only have Sam for a, about 20 minutes or so. So let's get to the game, the basketball game that we have tomorrow night in Cameron. As I mentioned, we're here to pit the preview the Pitt Panthers. It'll be the only time that the now number 24 Duke will see Pitt this season. But once again, we will see the return of Jeff Capel to the Gothic Wonderland. It sets up a pretty big matchup. If you're looking really quickly at what Pitt has done this year, they're 11 and five, four and one in the ACC tied for second. Uh, They're 63rd in Ken Palm, but they have some pretty decent wins, you know, a big win against UVA. They also have wins against NC state, Northwestern and UNC. And this is when UNC was ranked. They have losses against uh, West Virginia, Michigan, VCU Vandy. And just uh, the other day on Saturday, they lost to Clemson by one. That was a matchup between the top two teams in the ACC standings. So uh, Jason, I want to give it to you for some of the matches, but I want to start with this. We're going to talk about some of the players in a minute and we'll get Sam's take on that, but this is a very experienced team and we have to talk about what Jeff Capel's team has done so far this year. They've been very strong uh, in all areas of the game.
3: Yeah. So it's easy to look at, at Pittsburgh and think, you know, that this is a team that is, you know just putting something together uh gotten a little bit lucky maybe lately they 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 have won several ACC games uh they were 4-0 and in the conference but they they did that on the strength of beating nc state by 8 syracuse by 2 north carolina by 2 and virginia by 3 <laughs> those are those are close games uh clearly could have gone either way and so it'd be easy to sort of go oh, you know, this is a pit team that's just gotten a little bit lucky. Uh, I, I don't really think that's the case. I think it's a pit team that after a few years of of Coach Capel, of Jeff Capel, you know, trying to figure things out, they've sort of identified who they are and they understand what they're good at, what they're not good at, and, and they're being very successful. I, they, they are number 68 in Ken Palm. I'm going to tell you right now that that's a very deceptive number. This team is way better than the 68th best team in Ken Palm. And I'll tell you how I know. So Bart Torvik, who has ratings very similar to Ken Pomeroy's ratings, does a lot of stuff with efficiency, advanced metrics and such. Bart Torvik allows you to sort his ratings based on certain dates. If you look at this pit team from Thanksgiving until today, and I didn't pick that, you know, I didn't pick that date at random. I sort of, you know, I want a real marker. Thanksgiving, I think, is a reasonable time to say, oh, let's see how they are. From that date until today, Pitts the number 27 team in the country. I'm gonna repeat that. This Pitt team, basically a top 25 team over the past month and a half since Thanksgiving. That's that's an impressive thing. By the way, if you're wondering where where is Duke since Thanksgiving, we're number 62 in Bart Torvik's ra- rankings. So yeah. It's easy to say that Duke should be a favorite in this game. I mean, Ken Pomeroy says that the Blue Devils are supposed to win this game by about seven points or so, but I'm telling you right now, uh, this, this pit team is absolutely capable of beating Duke in terms of what they do well. This is a team that loves to shoot three-pointers. In the ACC, in the conference, they are the number one three-point shooting team in the conference, not in terms of their percentage, but in terms of the number of shots they take. Almost 45, actually more than 45% of pitch shots come from three-point range in the ACC. And that has led to them being the second best team in the conference in offensive efficiency rating in conference games. That's that's a huge deal. I mean, they aren't hitting a a really high percentage, around 34% of their three-pointers, but they shoot so many of them, it's made them into a really, really efficient team. In terms of what they don't do well, they get a lot of shots blocked. About 10% of their shots get blocked, which is not a good number. They turn the ball over too much. Almost 17% of Pittsburgh, um, uh, of Pitt possessions end, uh, end with them turning the ball over. And most of those turnovers tend to be steals. So it's a team that you can block their shot, you can steal the ball, but what they really like to do is they want to bomb away from the perimeter and they want to take three-pointers, and that's how they typically beat you. And Donald, one other thing I wanted to mention, you talked about experience. Wow. According to Ken Palm's metrics, this pit team is the 18th most experienced team in the country. The average age of a player on this pit team in terms of experience is almost three years. Basically, they're playing nothing but seniors. They got some juniors, but those are experienced juniors. They're pretty much playing nothing but juniors and seniors, Lots of super seniors as well, the whole time in this, in this, uh, you know, for this pit team, it is going to be a contrast of styles. Duke wants to take the ball inside, doesn't like to shoot threes. We're not very good at it, and we are very inexperienced. Pitt loves shooting the three-pointer, and this is a super experienced team.
0: Yeah, when you look at their top ten, you know, guys that they that contribute mostly. I believe only two of them are freshmen, and that's the uh, Diaz-Graham twins that just started this year, uh, two guys that you'll probably see uh, at the center position. But Sam, I want to come to you. There's been a lot of guys on this team that have been uh, great for Pitt thus far, but I want to lead with Blake Henson, who's kind of been leading the charge. Tell us about know, uh, Blake Henson and also some of the rest of the guys on this Pitt Panthers team. Yeah, Henson is a is a fascinating
2: player because he, uh, he transferred to Pitt this year, but uh, had to sit out two years at Iowa State. Um, so he's on his third school, but this is his fifth year in college. And uh, I don't think that Jeff Cable knew how good of a player he was getting in Blake Hinson. Granted, this uh, award happened sort of during the Christmas break, so there weren't that many games. But Hinson already has an ACC Player of the Week award under his belt for uh, for this year and is is averaging big numbers for Pitt. Um, not like the best three-point shooter, but very good sort of all-around player. He's a six, seven. Uh, wing, so I think you'll probably, you know, assuming that that Whitehead is up to the task, you can see Derek Whitehead guarding him. You'll see Mark Mitchell guarding him, um, but Hinson's kind of the the most dynamic player that uh, is on this Pit team. The other guy that Duke fans might remember is Jamarius Burton, who's a uh, also a super senior, also on his third school, but this is his second season with Pit um, and is having an outstanding year. Um, uh, really good scoring the basketball, even though he's he's not a very big player, six four. Um, but he's he's kind of a load for Pitt on the perimeter. And then <laughs> the one other guy that that is uh, I think the most interesting uh, guy on this team. It's his first year uh, playing for Pitt. Is uh, Fede Federico, who uh, is a, a Finnish recruit. He's from he's not Finnish. Uh, he is from Finland, and uh, he's a he's a big man. I think I believe he's the starting center. We mentioned uh, the twins who are backing him up. But Federico is kind of the starting center. 6'11", Six eleven, two twenty. Um, big dude has is pulling down a lot of rebounds. He's he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the country. So, you know, for a Duke team that has had uh, some really good rebounding this season, but also some shaky rebounding in some games, it'll be interesting to see the way, you know, guys like Ryan Young match up with Federico. We also heard, I think, from a couple listeners this week about the, you know, about Derek Lively and sort of his development. I am very curious to see you know, to what extent Lively is matched up against Federico and the way that he, um, yeah. the way that he plays against him. I don't know, you know how much John Shire is still trying to work him into the rotation in a way that is you know, most beneficial to his development as opposed to the team's work. Uh, that is going to be probably the most interesting thing that I'm looking for in this game. Although, as you both have pointed out, uh, Pitt has had, has had a pretty successful start to the ACC season despite those sort of close margins of victory. I agree with Jason that I think they're pretty legit and this is going to be a great test for Duke, especially because they've got his pick game this week. And then uh, right after that, they they have to go play Clemson. They're at Clemson, um, which is also going to be a tough matchup.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Fede Federico. Uh, for, For those of you out there, his actual full name is Federico Federico, both spelled the same way. So Fede Fede. Is going to be a guy down down low that you're going to need to deal with, but also on the oh, defense. Did his, did
3: his hey? I got a question. Did did his yeah. parents get confused and they like put first name and last name and? I, I how do you get named Federico Federico? That's awesome.
0: <laughs> I don't know, but you know what? I think We're if, gonna remember I think if name. your
2: name is Federico, then it's cool for your first name to also be Federico. Like it wouldn't work if your last name was Donald. Like being Donald Donald <laughs> would be ridiculous. Um, but being Federico Federico is
0: pretty cool. Hey, if Aaron Donald has a kid and his first name is Donald, then he could be Donald Donald, and he'd probably be one of the better, you know, players of the NFL. But I digress. When it comes to, to Fede Fede, um, you know, you mentioned his offensive rebounding, but also on defense, you know, he averages one point six blocks per game. He's gonna be a guy that you mentioned he's there starting, you know, at the five. He's going to be a guy that's gonna be very active on defense as well, trying to block shots. So, guys, when we drive the lane, which is exactly what they kind of want us to do, they're trying to feed us into this you know, no man's land where Fede Fede can, can block some shots or at least alter them. We need to be able to figure out how to get to the basket and lay it in and maybe get him into foul trouble and get some of these other big guys into foul trouble. Um, you know, when it comes to some of these players, I think the the one thing about them is how they play together. And even in the loss against Clemson, which I did get to watch the other night, they all play well together. They're all very tough. And even if someone's, you know, slacking or, or, or not getting... Uh, their shots off, they're able to somehow together move forward in a positive manner. They're always trying to find that next positive play, which is something that, you know, Duke has kind of been lacking lately. We've talked, uh, Jason and I, we talked on the last show about what could happen uh, if there was a go-to situation, who's that go-to guy. I think for Pitt, they know who those go-to guys are. It's Blake Henson, it's Jamarius uh, Burton. Those guys are going to be two of the guys that are going to find. Uh, you're going to find with a ball in their hands more often than not, especially when they need something positive to happen. Jason. You know, the the other really interesting thing about this pit team is at some point you have
3: to think they will get John Hughley back for folks who don't remember. John Hughley was an all ACC level player a year ago, a big man who has phenomenal touch around the basket and is just a load. You cannot move that guy out of the lane. He got injured. He had a knee injury earlier this year. He came back from it, but he wasn't very effective. He was clearly out of shape. There, they haven't really said like what's. He hasn't played in like uh, almost a month. They haven't really said what's going on with him. They say it's not a disciplinary issue. They say he's largely healthy. A lot of the speculation is that he's getting back into shape and and figuring out you know some some different things. But at well, some Jason, point, Jason, yeah. he was suspended last year. Um which is why you would want to even mention the disciplinary stuff. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, again, though, they've said, you know, at some point that they expect him, they expect he will come back. He, he's a heck of a player. He would add some real offensive muscle to what they're trying to do on the inside. You know, and I, I talked about the fact that this team loves to shoot three pointers. You know, I don't know how you would deal with a team that was taking a bunch of threes and also had a guy like Hughley who was playing for you on the inside. And, and, you know, platooning him a little bit or having him alongside Federico, who's that great offensive rebounder and shot blocker. I mean, this pit team, as good as they are, could go next level if he starts playing again. Don't know when it'll be, but I mean, Capel, by the way, we haven't talked enough. Jeff Capel probably is ACC coach of the year. I, it, it, between him and Brad Brownell, I guess at this point, it is it is this team was projected by everyone to be at the very bottom of the conference. The fact that they are near the top, the fact that they are at the moment playing as well as anybody in the league is truly impressive.
0: And one thing about Jeff Capel teams is that they always play with intensity, no matter what's happening, they're going to play with intensity because, you know, honestly, that's kind of the style that he has enlisted in this team. And we talked last year about some of the struggles that Pitt has had is it's, it's kind of great to see jeff capel's philosophy kind of take take real hold up there in pittsburgh and he like you said jason he's been one of the best coaches in the acc so far this year sam anything else on Pitt before we you know we transition yeah i I just wanted to respond to jason about jeff capel uh jason you're assuming that
2: john shire's not gonna rattle off 15 straight wins here to uh close out the season and clinch ACC coach of the year?
3: Yo, it's early. It's early. It could happen. You're right. It could happen.
2: If if, if Derek Lively turns into a double-double machine and Duke goes 14-1 and the rest of the way, I think John
0: Shire might win ACC coach of the year. You heard it here first, first ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we need to take a break, though. Uh, on the other side, we're going to discuss Duke and some of the shooting stats that they have this year. Jason has the numbers after this.
3: increasing with the improving weather and more daylight. There's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and flexible and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed
0: therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Okay, we are back. We had to say goodbye to Sam. Sam has to catch a flight back to Boston. So it's just Jason and I, and we want to get into Duke's shooting stats on the year. Now, Duke's shooting has kind of plagued them a little bit at times this year. If you look at just the raw stats, they are shooting just under 44% from the floor as a team. If you break it down even further, they're shooting just a couple dimes over 50% on two-point shots and only 32.6% from beyond the three-point line. But We're going to dig even further into some of these stats, not just in the shooting, but also some of the rest uh, of Duke's stats during the season. So, Jason, I want to go to you first. You had some numbers that you wanted to present about how Duke's been shooting this year. What do you got?
3: Yeah, so there was a really interesting column just a few days ago by Steve Wiseman. And if you don't read everything Steve Wiseman writes, then uh, you're making a mistake because he, he is covering Duke as well as anybody out there. Steve Wiseman has access to Synergy Sports, which is one of the top, you know, tracking metric kind of um, organizations that that's around in terms of college and professional back- basketball. And Synergy Sports has just released a new metric that they call Synergy Shot Making. They already track, you know, whether the shot you take is a quality shot or not. They are now tra- because they're able; they have these cameras all over the court. They're able to to look at exactly where a player is, how far other players are from him, all that kind of stuff to determine, okay, is this a quality shot? Well, they just released a new stat that is, that is uh, synergy shot making, which is whether or not you are hitting shots at a rate either be- above or below average based on what other players have done from that same spot with that same kind of defense and all that other kind of stuff. So to be clear, it separates out a wide-open three-pointer from a three-pointer where you're closely guarded. In fact, it separates a closely guarded three-pointer from a three-pointer taken off the dribble. So they have metrics on all this stuff. They break it down and break it down and break it down. And they're able to tell you, are you someone who shoots above average or below average based on every other player they've tracked? I got some bad news for you. Kyle Filipowski, Jeremy Roach, Derrick Whitehead, Jalen Blakes, Tyrese Proctor, are all negative in terms of shot-making. That means compared to other players who take the exact same shots they do, they hit those shots at a lower percentage than other players. There are really only two guys on the Duke team who have a positive synergy shot-making score. That means where they hit their shots more than an average player in that situation would hit that shot, And those are Jacob Grandison, who frankly does not take many shots, is not in the game a lot, and Mark Mitchell. I don't think it really will surprise you to hear that Mark Mitchell is a little bit above average on his shot making. I think Mark Mitchell, you know, has had a better than expected season so far. But it is a real problem for Duke that Flip, Roach, Whitehead, Blakes, and Proctor are all negative in terms of shot making. By the way, Derek Lively, I don't think even counts in this. I don't think he's taken enough shots that it matters, Ryan Young. My bet is is positive. I didn't see the exact numbers on him. Um, I was going to say, I
0: hope Ryan Young is in the positive. He's shooting seventy four percent from the floor yeah, so I'm, this year. I'm I'm sure he is in the positive. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and and again, if I were to tell you
3: that Ryan Young and Mark Mitchell, among the regulars who are regularly involved in the offense, are the only guys who are sort of above average, I don't think you'd be surprised at hearing that. As much as Duke has struggled, so. I mean, this is a team that clearly struggles at the offensive end of the floor. I've looked, we've talked about it a little bit, other than offensive rebounding and free throw percentage, Duke is frankly mediocre in all other aspects of the offensive game. And, you know, a lot of the blame falls to our perimeter guys who are all basically average or below average in terms of their offensive rating. Offensive rating is something that you know, the advanced metric guys are able to say, you know, are you better than one point per possession? That kind of thing. And both Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor are barely at a 100, which is an average offensive rating. Uh, Derek Whitehead is is below that. Jalen Blake's is a little bit above it, but not much. There's only one guy on the Duke team, one perimeter player, who has a really impressive offensive rating, a rating of over 130. And that's Jaden Shoot. Now look, I know that Jaden shoot has issues on defense and his athleticism leaves something to blame, something to be desired. Sorry. And this is a team full of elite athletes and he's not an elite athlete, but he has a gaudy 131 offensive rating because he can hit three pointers. And I know he plays in low pressure situations. I know he's played against inferior talent, but I'm here to say that I really think John Shire needs to find a way to give Jaden shoot minutes. I mean, the guy's shooting 50% of his threes in this season. Merely having him on the floor, I think, will create more space for other Duke players because the opposition, he may not play a lot, but they know if he's in the game, they need to pay attention to him. They need to be on him and not give him space. And that will create space for our other guys who like to penetrate. I I haven't been to practice to see what Jaden shoot looks like on offense and defense every day. Maybe he's borderline unplayable against ACC competition. I, I don't know, but shooting's just such a valuable skill. John Shire should know this. I think he needs to give Jaden Shoot a chance because teams are frankly sloughing off of Tyrese Proctor. They they don't they don't need to guard Jeremy Roach as much, and probably Jeremy Roach probably doesn't play against Pitt, and I, I think he won't play against Clemson either. Um, Duke's got to find a way to get more spacing and get more opportunities, more good offensive opportunities, so we can raise our shooting percentage. And uh, Donald, maybe I'm
0: wrong. I think that Jaden shoot has to be part of the answer at this point. I mean, when you talk about three-point shooting, that stretches a defense out, and that allows for guys, you know, like Dariq Whitehead, who honestly has been leading the team in threes over the last few games. Uh, But his game that we know of is mainly his best part of it is being able to drive to lane and create shots inside. But if you're not hitting threes teams don't have to worry about you shooting. And and that's when you see zones. That's when you see, guy, you know, teams kind of packing the paint because they know that's all the ways that you can, that, that Duke can beat them. So I, I think shooting threes and, and hitting them at a better rate is going to only help this team because it'll help stretch defenses out and give more guys chances to thrive. But Jason, you mentioned some of the shooting stats and, you know, we've been focusing now on this ACC season. I had some stats as well about how Duke is performing, in some key categories, according to Ken Palm in conference only, right? Like, so we we've talked about some of the things we've done successfully on the season, but we're three and two in the ACC. It's been a struggle so far. Here's why, you know, you're looking at offensive efficiency, you know, we're seventh in the conference in that. So we're middle of the pack. Okay. That's fine. Defensive efficiency, which has been something that has come. Hey, hey,
3: hey, wait, wait, by the way, that's not fine. Seventh, this Duke team, Expectations are that this would be a top two, top three team in the conference. Seventh in offense is not going to get it done. It's that's just true. Not. That's true. But and, and I know you're going to get to
0: the defense because it's even worse. <laughs> that's my point. My point is is that the offense we've been saying all season, hey, that's going to come along because our defense is strong, and our defense has been fifth worst in the ACC so far this year. Offensive rebounding percentage. This is the one that is killer, Jason. We have literally been the top team in the nation in offensive rebounding percentage for a good chunk of the season in the ACC. We are middle of the pack. We are seventh, but that drop-off has gone from around 40 to 42% to 28.7%. That is a huge drop-off. And you've seen for us, that's why we're missing. Even if we're missing shots, we'd be okay. That's fine. We're getting five, six rebounds and, and getting three or four chances at a possession to make shots. That has been really letting us down over the last few games. Turnover percentage. Oh, this is Third just a number. number. Oh, Third worst. 20.1%. Literally, you, you mentioned in the last episode, we are turning the ball over in conference on once every five possessions. And, when you, and that's why your favorite stat has been so skewed. You know, field goals attempted. Like, that has been so skewed because we are averaging, you know, instead of averaging 9 or 10 turnovers a game, we're averaging 15, 16 turnovers a game. That's all these possessions where, again, if you make on half of them, your your our points are going to go up. And also some of that momentum for the other team is going to be grounded. Block percentage, we're 12th in the ACC. Offensive steal percentage, we are second worst in the ACC. And defensive steal percentage, we are the fifth worst team in the ACC. So... It's funny because you know on it, it, we don't have the audio for it, but on uh, today I was able to jump on the media availability and I asked some guys questions about you know the difference between ACC play and what they what they were experiencing from the big games and non-conference. Not we're not talking about you know the Bellarmines. We're talking about Kansas and and in Purdue and, and Iowa those type of games. And the guy said, and, the, Hey, the, the guy Donald, said, don't, yeah. tell tell
3: everybody who you who you you know, who the media availability was worth so folks know who you were talking to.
0: Yeah, so I was talking to Mark Mitchell and Kyle Filipowski. So, of course, two freshmen who were experiencing this for the first time. Um, And I think for them, two things stood out. You know, both of them kind of mentioned when I said, hey, we're halfway through the season already. They go, wow, already? It feels like a blur, like that so many games have been thrown at them in such a short period of time. That has really affected momentum because there's no chance to really, you know, turn the tail, turn the tide a little bit, right? If you go down, you're all of a sudden, there's no way to kind of regroup and and sit there and kind of say, we need to get back to basics because there's another game that's like another, you know, two days away and they have to prepare for that. The other thing that Kyle Filipowski said is the physicality of the ACC has been different. And it's something that he said he needs to be more prepared for. And we've seen in his shooting slump that guys have been going at him. Why Jason? Because he's been, kind of elevating to the top of people's list because of how great he started the season out. And so now that guys are keying in on him, he has to learn how to, you know, in just kind of envelop that pressure and kind of absorb it. One guy who's going to have to learn how to do that over the next week or so is going to be Derek Whitehead because of the fact that he's come along stronger a little bit lately. Jalen Blake's, he had a couple of games where he had 17 points and then you saw a very big drop off because again, the team's got to say, hey, if we take this guy out of the game, who's going to step up? So those were interesting comments with us that I heard from both Mark Mitchell and Kyle Filipowski about how the physical nature of the ACC has kind of affected their play. It's really interesting
3: to me that those guys identified physicality. I think that's a it's good because that's something I feel like they can work on. And and, you know, they are they are elite athletes. And physicality shouldn't be something that overwhelms elite athletes like that. You know, the other thing that strikes me is we shouldn't get too crazy about these ACC statistics. They are probably greatly skewed by that one game. I mean, we haven't, we've only played five games. And one of them was that contest against NC State where we were, we had our doors blown off. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, for that to be 20% of your data, one fifth of your data
0: is going to throw things off in 25% a pretty pretty or that game, but like it's 25% of the season has gone so far. It feels like if you think about it, we are five games into the ACC season. We're about to have two more this week. We're in the, we're in the thick of things. And and that's kind of where, where some of these stats, you kind of go, oh, wow, this is not like a one-off game. And yeah, sure. There's been data that has skewed the final numbers, but some of the numbers are still troubling. Whether, whether you take the NC state game out of it.
3: Right. Right. Well, and the other thing to consider in terms of Duke's schedule so far, I mean, frankly, it's been a, you know, we're three and two against what's been a fairly easy ACC schedule. We've gotten Boston College twice. They are, you know, almost certainly not among the top half of the ACC. We've gotten Florida State, who's a team that has really, really struggled this year. Wake, you know, maybe middle of the pack. NC State looks like they're pretty good. Um, and NC State, even though they sort of struggled earlier in the season and they've had some tough losses, uh, it has been coming on strong and and. Looks like a team that could, you know, challenge certainly for, um, for the top half of the conference. So, but, but, it, but it hasn't been a super tough schedule. And if you look, what's coming up, um, we've got Pitt, which we've, you know, spent this whole episode talking about Clemson, who's currently undefeated, leading the conference. We got a good Miami team, a good Virginia Tech team. I mean, it, it is not an easy schedule. And the back half of the schedule is really difficult. You know, back half of our schedule is Carolina twice. You know, Miami and Virginia on the road. Uh, those are some really really difficult games coming up for for the Blue Devils. We we've we got to kind
0: of figure things out a little bit. <laughs> you you also got to talk to John Shire, right? I did. Uh, John Shire was on for about thirty minutes, and and that audio is going to be posted on Duke's uh, social media channels. Very fascinating conversation that he had with you know several questions that I thought were pretty candid. But there was one thing that he mentioned offhand that was interesting to me. And that was he, he touched on social media negativity uh, in his comments. And he talked about how he used to be on Twitter quite a bit. And his team is obviously all over Twitter. And a lot of them use that to kind of, you know, build up their persona in the area of in the era of name, image and likeness. They are on social media. Branding, baby. Yeah, branding. Uh, but they also and inst- they get to see the positive of the Duke fan base and they get to see the negative. And he said there's been a lot of an increase in negativity to the point where John Shire has basically said I I don't even get on social media anymore because it's been it's become pretty pretty bad out there. And I think what he was trying to do is he he mentioned that he wants this community, this Duke community to really get behind these players and and know that they're working hard and they're giving it 110% and all the clichés you want um about getting better every single day. And this team that we see right now is not going, is going to be hopefully the weakest part of the season that we have, because they're just going to get stronger and better every single day. And I think it's interesting because when we talk about Cameron, right? And the game tomorrow is in Cameron. He mentioned that the Cameron crowd is always going to be there. They're always behind him. And then when we talk about as a Cameron crazy, Jason, this goes back to when you and I were in school, like the, the mantra has always been the same when we go on a run. Duke is loud. When we yeah. have a we have a, a a little rut, a scoring rut, or a drought, or something like that, it's our job to make Cameron louder and to make it where when the chips are down, that's Amen, when we brother. really yeah. get behind the team. That's this point, and I think what John Shire was trying to say is, "Hey guys, we need Cameron to be like Cameron every night, but we need our fan base to be like Cameron every single day."
3: Yeah. And I'll tell you that the the social media comments really stick out to me because I'm I'm fairly active on like you. I'm fairly active on Twitter. I I read a lot of the Duke Twitter stuff, uh, especially with regard to Derek Lively. I feel like the Mm -hmm. Twitter has been absolutely toxic lately. And look, I want to be honest. You know, we've criticized we've spoken about Derek Lively's struggles on this show and. We we are not here to just to, to rah rah and and be fans. We're here to give some critical analysis and and hopefully you know speak truth. Uh, there's no question that Derek Lively has not been the player that folks expected him to be. That said, it, he's trying. I'm certain that he is trying. I'm certain that he is as frustrated and and angry, more so probably than any one of us, and we should be somewhat understanding. Uh, th- these are young guys who are this le- experiencing this level of competition for the first time, for the most part. They- they- they've got a lot to learn, and there's no reason not to think they're not going to get better. There's still tons of time left. And as I said a couple shows ago, at this point in his freshman season, Mark Williams was worthless. Mark Williams was playing two minutes a game. Mm-hmm. and And we were even wondering why he was playing those two minutes. Uh, There is absolutely time for Derek Lively. There is time for all the guys on this team to improve, to play better, to get back to being more of what was expected of them. And the last thing I'll say about all this, I'm sure you're going to want to, you want to chime in. Look, we've been spoiled as Duke fans for many, many years. It is fairly rare for Duke to have a season that is not lived up to expectations. Sure. Sometimes we come up a little bit short, but you know, for a Duke team, here we are teetering on the edge of being in, in the top 25. That's something that's fairly unusual for Duke. But look at the other top programs. I mean, look at the other teams, teams that were ranked ahead of us, teams that were ranked in the top five in the preseason. North Carolina and Kentucky. Two of the, you know, two of the programs, they're probably what? They're like four or five programs that that we all would say, oh, we're the top program in the sport. And North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke. In Kansas, you know that that's the pantheon. Uh, Carolina and Kentucky are unranked, <laughs> and and they're way more experienced than than this Duke team is. So maybe cool the Jets a little bit on some of the, on the of the social media angst. Give it time. Give these guys time to 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 figure out what it's going to take for them to be all they can be, because they're still yeah half the season's done. Donald, you mentioned that. There's half the season still to go. Half the season is left, and and, and, and like Sam, like Sam said, is it impossible? Would it be impossible for this team to go, you know, fourteen and one from here or something like that? No, it really wouldn't. In fact, it wouldn't even be completely shocking and unheard of for a team this talented to to go on a run and win a bunch of games in the ACC, and for us to completely forget
0: about losses to Wake Forest and NC State. Look, Jason, the patented Duke run is not just on the basketball court. Sometimes it's in the ACC standings. And we've seen Duke go on runs, you know, rattle off seven, eight, nine, sometimes 10, 11 in a row. This can happen. Obviously, there's, it, it doesn't feel like it at this point. But it also, you know, if you look at it from an optimistic lens, anything can happen in these games. It starts tomorrow. I, I, I want to finish, though, by congratulating one of our listeners for some expert sleuthing. All right. Regina Lee. She mentioned that she asked us about a month ago, Jason, about what happened to Bates Jones. Yes. And she mentioned that Bates Jones was on the bench or looked like some guy that looked like Bates Jones was on the bench uh, behind John Shire for a Duke game. And she was like, yeah, I confirmed that he was probably a manager or something. Well, Regina, you were correct. He is a graduate assistant at Duke and John Shire on his press conference actually talked a bit about having him in the in the camp and, and having him back on the team to, as he figures out what he wants to do in the grand scheme of life he, he said it was a very big help to have Bates Jones around to kind of again kind of have that continuity between last year and this year so uh Regina Lee shout out to you because uh you you did some experts within that when you asked the question you know Jason Sam and I had no idea what happened to Bates Jones we're like yeah he's probably somewhere in grad school or, or on on Wall Street or something he's apparently figuring all that out but he's doing that while helping out this year's Duke basketball team and the leadership that he can provide from a graduate assistant role is only going to help this young group of guys as they move forward. So congratulations and thank you to Regina. So that will do it. But just like Regina, if you have some expert solution of your own, you can email us at dbrpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Also after the game, we're going to try and record at some point after the game tomorrow. Don't hold us to that, but get your headlines in you can also email us your headlines from the pit game so for sam who is probably boarding his flight at this point for jason evans who's got that dog in him i also <laughs> i am donald blind i have that dog in me as well this is the Dvr podcast and now it's time for the duke band take us off woof woof